If you're visiting with us this morning, we're glad you're here. Thank you for taking your Sunday and sharing it with us. Uh, we're cheering for you and finding a church home. And uh, if you want to find out what we're about and what this church is about, I encourage you to uh, connect to someone at that table after we dismiss this morning. We can hopefully answer some of those questions for you. If this is your one visit with us and you were just uh, looking for a church home, know that we continue to cheer for you because this matters. Being part of a local body matters. And there's some amazing churches in our community. So um, no reason not to be part of a church family in Greenville, Texas. A couple things to just mention to you. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned this book to you, The Peacemakers. I said that we would have some copies. We failed to get those in time for last Sunday, but we have a stack of probably six or seven left in our um, conference room. So if you would like one of these, if you're not reading something right now that's meaningful, there's nothing wrong with reading fictional stuff. I mean, I, I'm not not opposed to that at all. But if you're not reading anything that's going to grow you and develop you and teach you to be a better husband, father, mother, wife, um, worshiper, teen, whatever you are, man, read something that has some, some help that's going to guide you in some way. I don't uh, present books a lot, uh, but this is one that I would put in the top five. It's called Peacemakers by, or Peacemaker, singular, by Ken Sandy. So grab one after worship if you would like. Uh, we also, just make a brief announcement, we still have $26,000 in our adoption fund. Some of you who are thinking on and praying on, should we adopt? Don't let money be a reason that you don't. Okay? Talk to somebody that's um, in leadership position here, and we'll figure out how to connect those dots. We're not a bank. We don't want money like that sitting in an account for periods of time. When somebody who's being called to adopt needs to connect to the money and needs to connect to one who needs to be adopted. Okay? Um, let me uh, continue this morning in prayer. We're going to pray for another church in our community. We're going to pray for Family Fellowship, and we're going to pray for Paul Blue and his family. Let's pray. Got a few things we want to lift up this morning. I want to lift up another church, but first I want to pray for Amelia Thornton. Lord, we um, are burdened for her oxygen uh, stats and how um, uh, the team of doctors are not really, uh, uh, don't really have a good plan or insight into where to go from here to help little Amelia. We entrust her to you, Lord. We pray that you would watch over her, that you would help the doctors make sense of what's going on with her heart and lungs. Pray that you would give Derek and Casey a peace that can only come from you, uh, knowing that she is in your hands and you're a good shepherd. Lord, we also want to pray for Lori Roberts this morning. I uh, just heard that she is in the hospital and likely having surgery this morning. I want to entrust uh, a dear family to you, Steve and Lori, and just pray that you would uh, heal Lori, that you would give the doctors care in how to tend to her and uh, just entrusting them to you as well. Uh, Lord, praying for family fellowship this morning, just uh, delighted to have the chance to lift up another church in our community. Thankful that we have so many great churches in our community and that Family Fellowship is one of those churches. Uh, we want to pray for Paul and his family. I just pray that you would um, protect him or give him um, um, an endurance uh, as he does the work of ministry, Lord, uh, that he is relentlessly doing and about the ministry of the word, uh, that he is not trusting in or depending in other, other things other than just um, exposing uh, your word and seeking to walk in it as a people and guide your people into that. 
I pray for family fellowship, Lord, that they will have good problems of seating issues and growth issues and that they are um, making disciples that are deploying every week into an office space or a neighborhood well-equipped to worship you out loud and to speak in Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray that these next few minutes that we will uh, experience what we just prayed for family fellowship, that uh, we'll be equipped for worship and wonder, uh, that we will be uh, um, a readied people, uh, that we'll go home, that that'll be the place where this starts, what we talk about this morning, that it finds purchase in kitchens and dining rooms and dens. And Lord, then that it finds connection in cubicles and um, uh, places where you work on cars. I can't think of the name of them. Uh, just pray that it finds purchase in every place that we go. Thankful that by the work of the Holy Spirit that it does. And trusting this time to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm thinking squad bay. It's not a squad bay. It's like the bay where you work on a car. It's funny when stuff doesn't come to your mind when you're in a public place and opening your mouth. Um, We're in a series in Ephesians chapter 4. It's really a series on how to treat one another. This is a a message this morning continues on in this chapter we've been in in chapter 4. Our first sermon was on speaking uh, with one another, speaking truth to one another. Uh, the second sermon in this series of passages, our series of sermons from Ephesians 4, was on speaking words that build one another up instead of speaking corrupting words. Uh, the third sermon was on dealing with anger and how to, um, to deal with it expeditiously before the sun goes down, that mindset, that concept of, of keeping very short accounts with one another. Uh, and the, the sermon this last week was dealing with, how, with working hard and working honestly so that you have something to share with one another. This is a, these, are, these sermons are about how we deal with one another, church folk and Christian folk. And this sermon this morning will continue and sort of uh, finish out this paragraph and finish out chapter 4. Um, yes, it will we'll complete chapter 4, uh, looking at yet another sermon on how to treat one another. Uh, you're really in luck that I'm preaching this sermon series because I'm an expert on how to treat people. Uh, the, the raucous laughter that you hear from some, louder from some than others, uh, know that uh, ironically, um, God has a sense of humor to put a guy like me up here preaching about how to treat folks. Um, I, I don't have the best track record in how to treat folks. And um, thankfully, I hope this sermon will give you some hope as it's giving, as in some ways, I'm telling, sharing a testimony about what I've found hope in in the last few years and how transforming that hope can be for folks maybe that can identify with a guy like me that has times where you haven't treated folks very well. So um, pretty cool series, and I'm excited to have the chance to preach it. I'm thankful that uh, oftentimes, and sometimes maybe oftentimes, the preacher is the one who needs to hear it the most, so I'm listening as I preach. Um, where this paragraph fits in, we're gonna, uh, I'm going to read in verse 25 all the way through verse 32 this morning. I'm going to spend our time on verses 31 and 32. Okay, but where this paragraph fits in, I think, is important. The paragraph right above it in Ephesians, Paul has been encouraging the church at Ephesus to put off the old man, the old Gentile ways, the ways that they uh, that would have been very familiar to them in their lostness, and to put on ways 
the new humanity, the new identity that they have in Christ. So this paragraph that we've been in the last few weeks follows that pattern of putting stuff off and putting stuff on. And then in each case, it gives a motivating clause. I mean, it's just a beautiful, tidy, linear paragraph. And uh, I think you'll notice some things to put off, to put on, and the motivating clause, hopefully, in each of these verses as I read them. I may point a couple out to you just so you kind of recognize the flow. So let's begin in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, something you're going to put off, you're going to take off, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. That's what you're going to put on. And why are you going to do that? Because we're members of one another. Okay, nice flow to these. Here's the next one. Be angry and do not sin. Put that stuff off. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. This is what you put on is working through a short account with one another. And give no, here's the motivating clause, give no opportunity to the devil. Here's the next one. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And this one actually has a couple of motivating clauses. Here's the next one. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And now where we're spending our next few minutes is in verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. This is what you're taking off, and this is what you're putting on. And along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And here's why. As God in Christ forgave you. Christy is not a nagging wife. She, not even close. I, I, I've seen that happen. And I, I, that is not the woman that I've married, and I'm thankful for that. But she pays attention, and she notices some things that I get myself into at times. There are times where I might get caught up in something, not realizing, not thinking about the clothes that I'm wearing. Like I might walk through the garage and see something that I wanted to do to one of my bicycles. And if you're around bicycles a little bit, you know that bicycles have grease on them. Or I might see something I need to do to a lawnmower, which is where I've been the last couple of weeks, is wrangling a lawnmower problem. Or I might see something that I need to do in the yard, and almost without fail, grease is involved, and I'm almost without fail wearing my best duds. So my wife says to me lovingly, she really does, she says, please don't do this in your nice clothes. Okay, she really does, so sweet. But maybe that's a good way to think about this paragraph. That this is what Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus. Please don't do these things in your nice clothes. Please don't do these things in the clothing that was hard won for you through the cross. Please don't do these types of things in the righteous clothing that, was, that has become yours through faith in Christ. Okay, so that's maybe a good way to think about this paragraph. We're going to break it down in three pieces. In the first piece, we're going to look at the things to put off, the things that aren't fitting considering the clothing that you're wearing. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. I'm going to take just a moment and speak about each of these. Just a moment because I don't want to spend the most of our time or the majority of our time on this. First of all, put away bitterness. Bitterness is hard-heartedness that harbors resentment about the past. It's hard-heartedness that harbors resentment about the past. I think bitterness has probably been the thing that I've struggled with most in ministry in the last 14 years. And maybe some of my own toward other people, but 
a shocking amount uh, that I experience from other people. From something that happens in doing life together in the church. It may be something that I've said. It may be something that someone else has said. And the way it often shows up is sort of the duck and hide at, at Walmart. I mean, really, at first it starts with a departure. Someone who's been part of us may leave for no reason at all. There are good ways to leave a church, by the way. You may have really good reasons for leaving a church and you, articulating those to folks who poured into you and who have considered you part of their church family is an appropriate way to do that. But folks that are bitter don't do that. Folks that are bitter will unfriend you on Facebook because they don't even want to look at you. They don't want to see your face anymore. And then if you happen to be in Walmart at the time where they are, where I'm in there buying my kombucha tea, Okay, they do the duck and hide and the duck and the zig and zag and 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 try and look like a box of cornflakes, so I don't see them. I thought it was kind of like um, I think it was Arnold Schwarzenegger or something in Predator or something where he like stuck into the mud bank, you know, and he became like he was invisible. That's what they tried and do at Walmart, and it's because you're bitter. If you're doing that with someone else, chances are you're carrying around some bitterness. You're harboring some resentment that you haven't worked through conflict with them. You haven't worked through conflict in a way that will liberate you from the bitterness that keeps you from, or that makes you want to hide from one another. Bitterness is a very real part of life together, potentially. And it's the first thing that he lists as something that should be put off. It's not fitting for the clothing that you're wearing. We shouldn't have any of that toward anybody. Okay, here's the second thing. Wrath and anger. I'm counting them together because in some ways they're treated synonymously uh, in the list here. Uh, the Stoics distinguish between the two. Okay, the Stoics considered that wrath uh, is, is the rage in an initial explosion. You've either done it or you've seen it or you've been on the receiving end of it. You know what I'm talking about, that rage. And then anger is gnawing hostility. Whether you want to treat those things differently or distinguish them is really up to you. I think there's room to consider them synonymous or to consider them separately. Um, wrath and anger are not fitting considering the righteous clothing that you're wearing along with bitterness. The third thing here or the fourth thing uh, is clamor. Put away clamor. Clamor is a word that you may not use very often, uh, kind of an old-fashioned word. Uh, it's, it's a word that means shouting. Put away shouting. Shouting is not fitting for the people of God. It's not suitable for, for the people of God. Maybe you've heard it in an apartment next to you. Uh, when I was stationed in the Marine Corps and before Christy and I were married, um, I, I lived in an apartment complex, and you, you could tell when somebody was in a fight. Really thin walls and lots of people living really close to one another. You know what I'm talking about, that, that feeling that you have when you hear people shouting at one another. You're like, oh, man, so there's somebody who's like literally abusing one another with their words. And it may not even be the content of the words, although it's likely the content, but just the volume. The volume enough is just hard to even hear. Maybe it's in an apartment complex. Maybe it's in the same house that you've heard this. Maybe it's in the same house that you've heard this, maybe even this week, maybe even this morning. <laughs> Man, shouting upstairs or shouting downstairs or maybe shouting in the very room or shouting in your very face or maybe you're doing the shouting. Shouting is something that should be put away from you. Let me ask you this question, parents in here. Is this how you parent? By shouting? I've called it John Wayne parenting over the years. It doesn't work. You might have little momentary lapses of obedience or momentary periods of obedience, but it doesn't change the heart. And man, we can resort to it in a heartbeat. It's something that should be put away from us. Clamor and shouting is not part of who we are. And siblings, is this the way you deal with one another? 
If you've been baptized into Christ, if you've been baptized into this, and I'm, this, is, this is where we have our baptistry. For those of you who are visiting, like, what's he talking about? We have our baptistry. It's a, a, a horse trough up here. This is the kind of thing that, it's not here right now, by the way. <laughs> if you've been baptized into Christ, then, man, parents, you can remind your children, this is not who you are. You've been baptized into the people of God, and this is not the way that even young children who have uh, united with Christ by faith should communicate with each other. It's certainly not the way that a young person should communicate with their parents. Man, it's the only commandment that comes with a promise. You dishonor your parents, I can guarantee it. Your life will not go well for you. Guarantee. Because God's going to make good on his promise. Shouting is inappropriate at your parents. Period. Man, these things should be put away from us. It's harmful, it's hard to hear, and it's something that if we're really honest with one another is pretty familiar. Maybe more familiar in some homes than others. The next thing on the list is to put away slander. Slander would be abuse and the vilifying of others. And I can tell you right now, this is just so easy to do. I mean, let's be really honest with each other. Slandering one another is just so easy to do. You can almost do it without even a word, just by um, body language, just a look. Somebody mentions somebody's name, and you can give a look that disparages someone. And, man, that kind of stuff should be put away from you. Man. Some have suggested that the order that we've considered so far with bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander follows sort of a, um, a climactic arrangement. I'm not sure about that, but uh, they've suggested that it begins with the inner quiet burn of bitterness and that it progresses to the angry outburst directed at the person that you're angry with, and then it goes to outside of the person to slandering and disparaging someone to others. However you want to order it, it is a terrible list of things to do in your nice clothes. Man, it makes a mess of things, and it's not characteristic, not in keeping with the people of God. The next one here really captures all of the others as sort of a summary, the word malice. Put away malice. It sort of summarizes all these other others, and it's any action that intends to harm your brother and sister in Christ. It can be in your home. It can be in your church family. It can even be in your Christian community. Any action that intends to harm your brother and sister in Christ. These are to be put away from you. They're not fitting activities for the fine garments that you wear now by faith. It's not part of who you are anymore. I thought in some ways it might be like someone who'd been freed from prison going back and putting on the prison clothes with stripes or the orange garments and going out and making some license plates and picking up trash. You're like, dude, you're free. Don't do that. That's not who you are anymore. Take off those stripes. Put down those license plates. You've got to consider, too, as I want you to think about this for a moment. You've got to consider that these things are shared okay, with the church. Paul's not talking to lost people right now. He's talking to the Ephesian church. So you've got to consider that these people are doing some serious and real life together to be potentially experiencing bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, malice. Man, they've got to be in close proximity to one another. They're doing some real life together, and these are very real possibilities for church families. Okay, hear this. And for Christian families. Very real possibilities 
to do these dirty, dirty things in your nice, righteous clothing. We've got to be really honest about that up front before we can consider the positive exhortation. This next phrase in Ephesians here, chapter 4, we're going to consider what's fitting given the righteous clothing that you're wearing. If those things are not part of who you are and should not be done given the clothing that you're wearing, here are the things that should be done. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Kindness. I want to just consider each of these three things for a moment. Kindness. Earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, kindness was attributed to God. Hey, let me show you this. I want you to get this because I think this is important. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, maybe my favorite passage of Scripture in the Bible, the whole summary of the gospel was presented there. And uh, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're by nature children of wrath. But then, but God, my favorite two words in the Bible in chapter 2, verse 4, but God made us alive together with Christ. He raised us with him. He seated us with him. And then in verse 7, so that, the reason he did all this, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Man, just consider kindness, first of all. If it's attributed to God, then it ought to be attributed to God's people. When God's people move kindly with one another, it is what it means to be godly. If this is the motive of salvation, it is what it means to move in a godly way than when you move kindly with one another. It's considering the needs of one another and the interests of one another. The next thing is tenderheartedness. Tenderheartedness is being sympathetic to others, whatever they may be going through. I've, um, um, I, I think in some ways it's kind of being, it's like sharing nerves with someone. In some supernatural sense, you can almost in some way feel what they're feeling and sense what they're feeling as maybe they share it with you or maybe you're onto something, you know that something's wrong. Okay, tenderheartedness is a real connectedness with one another and a real insight into one another and what they may be going through, even if you're not going through the very same thing. I've had a recent discovery uh, that's really been, been helpful for me. Uh, I think I'm learning to separate the actions of a person from the person. I've had enough occasions that have hit me in the last year or so where I've had to, in order to make sense of what someone is doing, where in the past I would just want to, to identify the crime, whatever it might be, it might be a crime against me, or it might be a real crime against God, whatever it might be, I want to attribute it to that person and identify that person in unity with that problem and with that crime. And I'm learning now to realize, especially among God's people, that oftentimes we do some things that are really not things that we really want to do. I have this new revelation learning that difficult people oftentimes really don't want to be difficult. They're not like trying to be difficult. But there may be something else going on there that is manifesting itself in a way where you could associate that person and the problem together. Tenderheartedness, I think, says, man... I bet there's something going on with this person. Let me try and feel what they're feeling so that I can help make sense with them as a teammate instead of as a critic. I think that's what it means to be tender-hearted with one another. This real sensitivity with each other says, man, I want to understand what you're feeling and what you're going through so I can help you 
It hurts me the way it's manifesting itself, but I'm going to separate that, and I'm going to move beyond that and separate you from what you're doing so that we together can make sense and I can bring you some help. I think that's what it means to be tenderhearted. The third thing here on this list of things to put on along with kindness and tenderheartedness is forgiveness. I thought a, a way to sort of define forgiveness for you. You probably don't need a definition, uh, uh, a clear um, definition, but I thought it helpful. Uh, Luke chapter 7 uses this very same word, and you can just listen to this short passage. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50 When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. The canceling the debt is the word, the same word that's used over there in Ephesians for forgiving one another. It's canceling debts with one another. These other things you're taking off and you're putting off because it's not part of who you are. The things you're putting on is you're putting on kindness. You're putting on tenderheartedness with one another. And you're forgiving one another. You are about the work of canceling debts with one another. The tense of this passage here and uh, of each of these words are present tense, giving the sense that it is an ongoing work that we're to be about as part of the people of God. These are ongoing things that should be part and parcel to life together, that we are walking in kindness, that we are walking in tenderheartedness, that we are walking in forgiveness. I thought a word that might capture all of those things might be the word to walk in graciousness with one another, to be relentlessly gracious with one another. That's the fitting clothing given, or that's fitting activity given the clothing that you're wearing. Now, let's consider the motivating clause here. Here's why it's fitting to do these things in the righteous clothing, as you, righteous clothing that you wear. This last phrase in verse 32, as God in Christ forgave you. That's the motivating clause for those things that you're to do in this righteous clothing. In ancient times, like in Jewish Uh, ancient Jewish teaching and in some of the early Christian teaching and it should be part of the current Christian teaching as well there was a very emphasized thought now maybe that's how I want to qualify it in ancient times this was emphasized uh, thought that 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 that, uh, um, and it was a motivation for people to be compassionate and forgiving was in order that God would be compassionate and forgiving with you okay that's that's an ancient teaching It's emphasized, I think, in some settings. I think there's some passages that clearly say that, indicate that. There's some gospel passages. Listen to this in Matthew chapter 6. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Okay, That's clearly an if-then phrase. If you forgive others their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses... Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Clearly, that comes out of that teaching. That as you forgive, if you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. If you forgive others, God will forgive you. Here's another one, Mark chapter 11. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your father also, who is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. Okay, those passages bring out that ancient teaching that we are to be compassionate and forgiving in order that God will forgive you, okay? That's not what Paul's saying right here. 
Okay, I want you to get this. This, this may be the most important development of the passage, of the sermon for that matter. An even better motivation for forgiving one another. This is what Paul is, is, is leaning to here, is that this has already been done for you. An even better motivation to forgive one another is that it has already been done for you. You didn't have to earn it. Listen to this passage from Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, that being Christ, having forgiving, forgiven us all our trespasses. Done deal. We didn't earn it. We were already dead in our trespasses and sins. Did you see that? Ephesians chapter four says the chapter two says the same thing that we just read, that he made us alive together with Christ. He raised us with him. He seated us with him while we were yet sinners, forgiving us our debts. Man, I want you to see that Paul's motivation here is that we didn't earn saving forgiveness. It was given to us. We couldn't even earn it because we're a bunch of dead people, according to Ephesians and Colossians. We couldn't earn forgiveness. I think it's important to connect to that and see and realize that it's something that's been given to us and something that we did not earn. The tense here in this passage is an aorist tense, again, indicating also that it has already been done for you. Here's what I want you to get, and I think the crux for the rest of the morning. The sense here is that the prime motivation for forgiving others is not to acquire or earn forgiveness, but because you've been forgiven already. That's the prime motivation for forgiving others. So what has been done for us in Christ is the grounds for believers to do the same with one another. It's the why behind this whole paragraph full of loving, holy treatment of one another because of what has been done for us. Now, I have just a couple of thoughts about this. I think some application thoughts that will hopefully help you. Here's the first. God modeled our treatment of one another. Okay, there's actually a term for what he did here. It's called a conformity pattern. Okay, this conformity pattern of forgive as you've been forgiven may be something that's familiar to you if you've read other passages in your New Testament. For example, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says this, As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's conformity pattern. Forgive as I have forgiven, be holy as I am holy. Here's yet another. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The conformity pattern. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Be holy as God is holy. Love as he is loved. He has been gracious with us. Let's summarize it. He's been gracious with us, so we are to be gracious with one another. He has modeled this for us from the outset, and he's modeled it for us so that we will know how to treat one another. 
Turn to Matthew chapter 18. I have a little parable I want us to work through. I want us just to spend a few minutes doing a little math. Matthew chapter 18. You can turn there. I've had you turn to a bunch of places this morning because I want you to, to be focused on this Matthew chapter 18 passage when we turn there. Matthew chapter 18. And I'm going to begin in verse 21. This takes the modeling, I think, to the next level to give us some perspective on what actually has been done for us in Christ, forgiveness-wise. Okay? Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Okay, we're talking about the same sort of dialogue, the same sort of exchange that we're reading about over here in Ephesians chapter 4. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, it's part of life together. It's appropriate activities given the clothing that you're wearing, that you're kind to one another, that you're tenderhearted, and that you're forgiving. So this is an appropriate satellite. So let's look at it. How many times should I forgive my brother? As many as seven times? That's a lot. For somebody to do the same thing maybe against you seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. He tells a story to illustrate this. Keep an eye on the king. A kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, even if you don't yet know the unit of measure, let's just insert dollar in there, and you're going to think $10,000, that's a lot. Okay, this servant had racked up some serious debt. Well, that, that unit of measure there is beyond dollars. In fact, if you look down at the bottom of your page, you probably have a little note like I have. A talent is a monetary unit worth about 20 years' wage. Okay, so let's do a little math here. Some of you are like, going, man, I didn't pay attention to math class. That sure would come in handy right now. 10,000, okay, he owes 10,000 talents times 20 years wage. Okay, that equals 73 million days wage. How in the world this guy racked up that kind of debt? Now, it's a parable. All right, it's not a real story, but he's making a point here. This guy racked up some serious, serious debt, almost to the point where you could imagine it impossible to pay back. Okay, so let's see how it unfolds. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, okay, 200,000 years wage, 73 million days wage, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. Okay, even though it's a make-believe story, we should really be shocked at that notion that he forgave a 73 million days wage debt. Okay, the king, though, forgave that debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, <laughs> saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. 
Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you 73 million days wage. I forgave you 200,000 years wage because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? You see the conformity pattern? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Man, I think this taking in the data here, realizing it's a made-up story, taking in the, the numbers, though, help us see how profound this model has been. How profound his example. It gives us some perspective that should help us with some forgivability with one another. This should help us with forgivability with those that have wronged us seven times seven, 70 times seven, so many times that we just can't even get beyond it, thinking, man, how could someone possibly do that? It should level things to where you have extreme forgivability with one another. He has given us a model, and he's given us a perspective on what he's done relative to what we're to do. You see that? He's given us perspective on what he's done for us relative what we are to do with one another. I think we need his model and we need this 73 million versus $100 perspective. I didn't convert the value for you of what the other servant owed the other servant. It was equated to $100. $100 versus 73 million days wage. Man, that should help us with some forgivability, seeing that perspective. I want to encourage you with this thought. You should know that there's no such thing as a church where you won't have $100 debts against one another. I promise you, there's no such thing as that church. I said at the beginning this morning, there's some great churches in our community. But if you stick around that church long enough, you're going to have some $100 debts against some other people in the church, and they're going to have some $100 debts against you. Man, know it. Know it. If you're looking for a church where that doesn't happen, then you're going to spend a few years here, maybe not even years, months maybe, a few years there until someone hurts your feelings, but you will never have the opportunity to do what's fitting, giving the clothing that's been worn for you to walk in graciousness, to walk in charity, to walk in forgiveness by forgiving them their $100 debt because you're going to vacate. Man, that's been a sadness for me in Greenville is to see how often that happens. And I want to encourage you right now, don't move that way. Some of you may be here because you vacated one of those problems. Maybe you stuck around a church long enough to where you had enough $100 debts to where you said, man, I'm out. I think I need a fresh start. Well, guess what? You bailed on an opportunity to walk in grace and mercy and forgiveness and charity. My encouragement to you is, man, go back and clean that up. You know what it might mean? It might mean that you need to go back and join that church. 
I hope that disarms some people that think that just churches around our community are just all about getting their own numbers. Do you think that the kingdom could be advanced and God could be glorified in our community if you actually went back and forgave some $100 debts with some of those that, that you owed or that owed you at a local church? Man, how awesome would that be? Let me encourage you in this point. You may not have any of that behind you. If you stick around Crosspoint long enough, you're going to have some of that here. <laughs> I owe lots of folks $100 debt. The problem is when I see them at Walmart, when they're doing that plaster against the cornflake thing, they haven't shared with me how I wronged them, so I can't clean it up. They're just bitter. It's a product of unresolved conflict. Man, that's unfitting given the clothing that we wear. We're going to spend eternity together and we hide from one another at Walmart. We're going to spend eternity with each other and we're going to bump from church to church until somebody chaps us. Man, that's missing the whole good news of the gospel. That's missing the point that you've been forgiven 73 million days wage and you have to forgive one another 100 bucks every now and again. Man, let me tell you something. That's a great place to start with some worship. Worship response to this sermon, I think that would be a great place to start. God modeled this for you, and he's given us some perspective to help you with forgivability. Here's the second thought. First of all, God modeled it, and the perspective is profound. The second thought is that Christ is the means for our holy treatment of one another. I want you to think about this for a moment. If God were just our model... I want you to think about this for a minute. How discouraging that would be. We have all these conformity pattern verses. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Be holy as God is holy. Love as he loved. Be gracious as he's gracious. Okay? Let's be really honest for a minute. If God was only model for us, wouldn't that be a discouraging life? Wouldn't that religious experience be a pretty discouraging religious experience? Wouldn't that faith just be relentlessly disappointing? If God were only a model for us. Man, isn't it hard to imagine? Just think about this. Hard to imagine. He's called us to something that we're supposed to model like him. Grace, holiness, love, forgiveness. Man, let's be really honest. Does anybody else like feeling like, oh man, that is just like impossible for me? Hey, I know, I see, it's clear he calls me to it. I see the conformity pattern. I know that he's a model for us, but what if he's only our model? Then that's going to be a really disappointing life and a really disappointing faith experience. Now let me help you with something. Yes, he is our model, but he is also so much more than this. He modeled for us what forgiveness looks like, what being gracious with one another looks like, what kindness looks like with one another what tenderheartedness looks like with one. He modeled those things for us, but he also provided a means for us to actually do what he's called us to do. I'm going to spend the rest of the morning on this because this is so important. He's provided a means for us to actually do and be what he's called us to be. I'm going to show you the first from verse 32 and the second from verse 31 of Ephesians chapter 4. Let me show you. First of all, verse 32, where God is model. He's more than that as well. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave 
you. Here's how we tend to read this passage. And here's maybe how you've heard this passage this morning so far. We forgive others as God forgave us. Okay, that might be a nice summary of what I've said so far, but you're missing a key element there. You're missing the most important maybe point of the morning. And it's subtle, but it's so important. The phrase, in Christ. He forgave us in Christ. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. I want you to see this. God forgave us in the person and work of Christ. That is the how of our forgiveness. It's it's surgical. It's how he's forgiven us in the person of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, I just read it a few minutes ago, and you may not have noticed it there, uh, speaking about his, his, his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Okay, He forgives us in Christ. He's kind toward us in Christ Jesus. Let me help you with something that, that might be something that might be familiar, familiar even to our children in here. Maybe one of the first verses that you've ever learned or memorized, even for the kids. It was for me. I earned a, a bag of peanut M&Ms memorizing this verse. John 3, 16. I still remember the M&Ms. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's probably a room full of people that can quote it. That whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Right? My whole life, I heard and read and thought that passage that God had this so, God so loves the world. This this big, massive, expansive, gooey love. It's just this big thing out here. Okay, here's a better rendering of that passage that likely you've memorized as well. God loved the world in this way. He sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loved the world in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what that so means. For God so loved the world, surgically, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's how he's kind toward us. It's how he's forgiven us. It's how he loves us in the person and work of Christ. God is the model and his son is the means. God is the model for forgiveness and his son is the means by which you will forgive that $100 debt that feels like $73 million. See, that's the problem, isn't it? Some of us feel like we've been so wrong. You equate it as a $100 debt, and you go, man, you don't know how bad I've been wronged. And you don't know how many times I've been wronged. I got good news for you. God hadn't just called you to model it. Because if that was all it was, man, you'd be bankrupt and bumming. You wouldn't have the goods for it. But he's given you the means to be forgiving in that debt as well. That's how he forgave us. That's how he loves us. That's the means by which he forgave us. Let me show you this. Christ is how God forgave us. And he's the how to our forgiving one another. I want you all to hear that. This is so important that uh, it could be the kind of thing that you could miss and you've missed the point of the morning. God has forgiven us in the person of Christ. And when you're called to forgive one another, 
He is the means by which you will be able to forgive one another. He doesn't just save us and call us to do some good stuff and call us to model these amazing things that we'll never be able to accomplish. Here's the good news. In Christ and through Christ, he has actually enabled us and empowered us to actually do what he's calling us to do. Isn't that crazy? What if the good news were that you just could follow Christ and you could trust Christ and that you're called to model God for the rest of your life? What if that's all the good news was? Do you realize the rest of the good news is that he has actually changed your nature? If you are united to Christ by faith, he has changed your nature in so much that you can actually forgive something that feels unforgivable. He's changed your nature if you've been united to Christ so that you can be kind and forgiving and tenderhearted even toward people that are really difficult, maybe especially toward people that are really difficult. The way that's accomplished is by your faith in Christ. He's the means by which you will be forgiving, forgiving, with, one, forgiving with one another. Man, this is the good news of the morning. He enables us for the good works that are prepared in advance for us to walk in. He empowers us to actually walk in the standard that he's called us to. These conformity patterns are not just pie in the sky for Christians who are united to Christ by faith. They are actually possible. We can actually be holy as he is holy. We can actually be loving as he was loving toward us. We can actually be forgiving with one another as he has forgiven us. And why? Because of Christ alone. Because of our union with Christ by faith. Period. It's not something we can muster. It's something that only happens by faith in Christ. The good news is that you are no longer enslaved to unforgiveness and anger and bitterness. But now in Christ, you are free to forgive. Anybody have that? That's some good news right there. You got something in your life that feels like it's just unforgivable. If you're united to Christ, I got good news for you. It is. It is forgivable. If the whole parable of the $100 thing, $73 million thing just wasn't enough for you, how about this? If you've been united to Christ by faith, he's like giving you like a superpower. (laughs) You can actually do what you've been called to do. Man, I need to know that. I need to know that it's possible to not be a jerk that I was. I need to know it's possible to grow in grace and tenderheartedness and kindness with one another. When maybe your natural disposition is sort of melancholy, you're sort of like Eeyore all the time, or you're just a grump and you just want to rip people's heads off by nature. I need to know that God can change somebody that just gets mad all the time. And I think the most, I'll have, I was about to share something. I'm not even sure I'm going to share it because kids are in here. I'll say it. I'll say it. It's not dirty or anything. But I think the most important word that I said, or the most frequent word that I said in our early marriage was um, crap. How stupid is that? Like, what's wrong with you? If that's the most thing, because like something doesn't go my way, crap. 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 Can you imagine being married to that? Man, that's a woman of grace right there. Man, what's wrong with you? Crap. I need to know that that man can change. I need to know that there's a means by which that human being, who with everything in him, doesn't want to be that guy saying crap all day long. (laughs) That somehow there's a means by which I can grow out of that. I can be changed out of being that weird, 
fussing, grumpy guy? Wow, man. He's the means in which God has forgiven us, and we are, he is the means in which we can actually be forgiven, forgiving with one another. It's in Christ. If he were only our model, we would be stuck in these same old patterns and only just aware of his holy movement while it's always just out of reach for us. The gospel is better news than that, people. It's better news than that. He is model, and in his son, he is means. Man, he's means to treat others with kindness, tenderness, charity, grace, and forgiveness. Man, that's good news. That's the first thing from verse 32. Here's the second from verse 31. Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. The put away there is passive tense. You wouldn't see that there necessarily in the English language, but in the Greek it's passive tense. Some people think that's just sort of a stylistic thing. I I believe with others who believe that that is what's called divine passive. Meaning that that's something that God does to us. Some of you who saw that list of things that you ought not be doing in your righteous clothing who are sitting around sitting here right now with grease on your pants and grease underneath your fingernails while you're wearing this righteous clothing by faith, you're trusting Christ and you're saying, man, I'm walking in bitterness and anger and slander and malice and every other form that's listed there. Man, you didn't know there's some seriously good news that God is going to reckon with that as you walk with Christ. It's a passive tense thing because it's something that God is doing to us. Man, I've seen that in me. I've seen that in you. I've seen it time and time again in the life of this church where God changes people as they walk with the means that is the person and work of Christ. I've watched selfish, thoughtless husbands Enjoy Christ, thinking on Christ, walking with Christ, hearing the preached word week by week, taking of the supper, walking with the people of God, reading their Bibles. I've watched those selfish, thoughtless husbands change. (laughs) Isn't that some seriously good news? And I'm talking real change. I'm not talking about some sort of conjured forced change. I'm talking real heart, deep down identity change. Man, that's because Christ is the means. God is the model, yes, but Christ is the means. And as you connect to the means, then you become more like the model. Man, that's good news, people of God. You don't need to walk around in prison clothing, picking up trash and stamping out license plates. Man, consider the righteous clothing that you're wearing. Consider the righteous Lord, the risen Lord, who lives and is seated and reigning and ruling. And when you do that, as you do that, he will change you. Bitter people who are truly enjoying Christ won't stay bitter because God will change you. Shouting people, even if they learned it from generations of shouters. Some of you be like, man, that's the only way I know how to parent because that's the only way I was parented. John Wayne. Guess what? He can redeem you from that as well. 
And he can teach you how to shepherd the heart instead of shouting in the face. He can bring conviction to you, maybe husbands, as you shout at your wives or you people shout at one another. He can bring conviction of how we talk to those that we love. And as we look to Christ as the good shepherd, as we relentlessly run to this forgiving good shepherd, this patient forgiving shepherd that forgives us 70 times 700, 7,000, then we grow in grace. And guess what? The clamor fades and the volume turns down. And that clamor and shouting turns to kindness and tenderheartedness over time. But let me tell you something right now, people. Let me emphasize. I'm talking about real change here. But this real change happens over time. It's not like an order from Amazon. When I think about an order from Amazon, I walk out to the front porch and there it is. Abracadabra. What I'm talking about is more like putting something on layaway at Sears and Roebuck. You're making little payments. You're making little installments. I bought my first shotgun that way, a Browning A5. Saved up for years. Made little installments here and there until I could go pick that joker up. And then it was mine. Man, you're making an installment right now. Some of you are sitting here bitter and wrathful and angry and slandering and some of those things we're talking about where you got grease underneath your fingernails. You're making an installment today because you're hearing about what God has done for you in Christ. If you're enjoying Christ right now, you're making a payment toward change because he's going to change you as you do that. If he's the means by which God loves us, he's the means by which we change. He's the means by which we forgive others. Christ is the only means by which we experience real change. He's the only way that we put off the old stuff and put on the new. Let me pray. God, I pray that this morning there may be some angry guys have found some encouragement. God, I pray this morning that maybe some bitter folks have found some hope. God, I'm so thankful that through Christ and in Christ, as we enjoy Christ, that you change really a pretty crummy bunch and that you make us for your glory to look like your son. God, I pray that everybody in this room will just walk away this morning with some encouragement, giving ourselves some margin and giving one another some margin that none of us are finished products yet. Lord, I pray that we can walk out of this room with a real burden to treat each other with some kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. Lord, there are real situations in this room right now that needed the medicine that this message is. And God, I pray that by your grace and your mercy, by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we'll walk in what we've heard. I pray you'll do your work of putting these things away that are inappropriate and putting on the things that are. We love you, Lord, and we love our Savior. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to have our supper here in a moment.
I think it's important as we take our supper to consider um, that we've been called to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave us. Just to enjoy in the supper. That God's forgiveness of us, his love toward us, his kindness toward us is surgical in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you this morning with the thought. Some of you might, might, not be, might not realize this. You may have been in church your whole life and just been there in body only, or you may have been in a place where you just didn't connect to this truth. But I want you to hear this clearly this morning. There is no forgiveness for you from your Creator but by Christ. You are crossways with your Creator and doomed to eternal hell and damnation apart from trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord. He is your only hope. But He's a good hope. You can bank on Him. He'll take every one of your sins and He paid for them on the cross if you're trusting Him as your Savior and Lord. You are doing, if you do that, you are trusting him. You are uniting to him by faith is what I talked about this morning. And you are donning these righteous clothes that he earned, not that you earned, that he earned. And I want to encourage everybody in this room this morning to place your faith in Christ. He is your only hope. He becomes the way in which a holy God is able to forgive sin. Because God will not wink at sin. The only way he is able to forgive your sin is if you are trusting in Christ as your Savior and Lord. I'm going to share a passage from Luke chapter 22. And if you are trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord, when we distribute the elements, I want to invite you to take and eat and drink with us. If you're not, if you are, man, I'm, I'm not, not bought into this. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm there. Then this, is, this meal's not for you. We're not being ugly about that. It's just a meal with our king. It's a meal that we have with our king where we remember that he forgave us a debt of 73 million days wage. Luke chapter 22. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Around that table were people that, in their context, they considered riffraff and rascals. Fishermen and tax collectors. And I'm okay with considering us a room full as well. Apart from Christ, riff-raff and rascals. But we sit around a table with the king who has forgiven us 73 million days wage. We're having a meal with him. I want to encourage you in this particular meal, as we take a meal together, if you have some $100 debts with one another, might be fresh. It may have happened this morning. Uh, devil's busy on Sunday mornings. Uh, it's crazy the kind of stuff that he wants to derail families with before they get to corporate worship on Sunday mornings. 
may have happened this morning. It may, have been, it may be something you're holding on to in bitterness, harboring something that happened ancient. You need to clean up those debts. Purpose to do that, I would say today. I would say today, while it's still called today, before the sun sets. That's a great plan. It's in keeping with the paragraph that we've just studied together. Man, reconcile those debts. Let's distribute the elements.